been a long time coming, but we're back together. It's myself and Latimer Alder as we discuss Net Zero and its implications for the human race. <laughs> a, a big topic, John, a big topic. Yeah. The implications for the human race. Yeah. Well, we'll it kind of is, well. isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is, but uh, it, it's not a... Not a, an over-emphasis over, over emphasis to say that, actually. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, oh, Latimer. And we're talking about net... Yes. So, Latimer, tell me, net zero. I mean, everyone has their own idea of what net zero is. To me, it's a race to the bottom. Um, to others, it's uh, saving the planet. It's saving the rainforest. It's saving the wildlife. What's your impression and what's your science-based findings of what net zero is well thanks john yes it is indeed a long time since we've been together i think it's almost a couple of years so it's great to talk again i thought i'd start by trying to put some basic background about net zero and and the arguments behind it in place first so that we have a common understanding because as you say you know people think it's all sorts of different things there is a sort of logic behind it to do that, I'd like to go back to, let's say, 2018, so five years ago. And in those days, the idea of global warming was coming up the charts. We had uh, Greta, Greta Thunberg, first appearing in, in public to um, frighten the living daylights out of people and tell them off. Everybody was looking for ways to uh, alleviate this apparent terrible problem they thought they had. And when you look at the data for how big this huge global warming problem is, you find, well, actually, it's not a very big problem. It's only about um, one degree of warming in about 60 years, and nothing much has happened as a result. That's what we've actually had. But people are scared that something in the future, there might be a sort of bogeyman lurking around the corner that's going to going to do do them harm. They think that the root cause of this is is exclusively carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and increases in the carbon dioxide. So if we can stop increasing carbon dioxide, we can stop climate change. We'll all be back to normal, and everybody will be happy. Yeah. And that's the that's the basic logic behind it. Okay. And that's a very very seductive idea for a politician, particularly when those politicians are told by the supposed experts that it's uh, incredibly easy to do, it will cost you nothing, it's uh, all gain and no pain, and anyway, if we set it for suitably far away into the future, it won't be your problem anyway, it'll be somebody else's. And as a result of all that, around about 2018, a lot of countries, a number of countries, started putting net zero, the elimination of all fossil, all carbon dioxide emissions into their laws. And we in the UK were one of the first to do that. Um, I think they all thought that by doing this, they could steal a march on everybody else and lead the way into this glorious future. Um, and of course, clearly when everybody else is trying to do it as well, that, that that's not going to work. But nonetheless, we closed 2018. We're Marching towards the glorious future, Mr. Trump can go and strut his stuff around the globe. We've we've found the the magic fairy godmother's ring. All we have to do is kiss it, and we can be 
world saviors and uh, off we go happy into the future and that's really the sort of end of act one of the net zero story okay now let's move forward now to five years to 2023 and things look rather different and things look rather different for a number of reasons not the least of which is that time has passed we're now instead of 32 years away from to do net zero it's only 26 and you can see that 26 years is within the lifetime or the career time of a uh, an up-and-coming politician of today so if you're a young politician now you might be actually thinking hmm this net zero stuff i've actually got to deliver it before i retire whereas the previous generation could quite happily think well it's not my problem i've done the work you you, you i've done the legislation you guys just have to yeah and i was thinking about how long away this is and it's actually getting very close it's less than 10,000 days for us to net zero which is quite a frightening thought and if i'm sure you remember millennium day and the year the y2k bud john yeah yeah, I the world was going to end. All the computers were going to crash. We'd be yeah, yeah, all yeah. The yeah. Funny that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're nearly. And I was working in IT at the time, and um, we were very relieved that, in fact, absolutely nothing happened. Yeah. Um, but that's as far away in the past as net zero is in the future. We're almost halfway between those two events. And that's yeah. quite a frightening thought as well, because now we're having to start to say, hmm, this is for real. We're going to have to do it. And for many countries, we've got laws that says we have to do it. So this is now a bigger problem than we thought it was going to be, rather than just this lovely fairy fairy godmother idea of um, into the future and into, the, into happiness. And when we look around the world, five years on from our, our lovely idea, one of the most striking things is that 80% of the world, if not more, don't give a monkeys about this stuff. Yeah. If yeah. you, you know, the, the, the obsession with climate change and the obsession with net zero is just about exclusively a Western, almost in, in, uh, Western and European mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. It primarily started in Germany, but it, it rapidly spread to the Anglosphere, as you might call it, the USA, Canada, Australia, the UK. But outside of that, nobody much cares. And it, look at the real... Yeah, even the Americans really didn't care that much about it. To start oh, the, the, Amer the Americans care about their industries. They don't care very much about net zero, to yeah. be honest. Canada, Canada, they do. They're, they're completely bonkers about it in Canada. They're completely and, bonkers about um, a few things in Canada, though. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I've got friends in Canada. Yeah. Um, and in Australia, they seem to be equally. Um, oh, they've lost it. They've just, they've just completely yeah. lost it. Well, that that seems to be my idea as well. But if you look at the really big growing places in the world, that's Asia, mm -hmm. and you look at the two biggest countries in Asia, China and India, both of whom have. To uh, one one and a half billion people, so nearly three eighths of the world yeah. live in just those two countries. Yeah, and they're the young people and the thrusting people. Both of those are going all out to increase yeah. their carbon emissions, yeah. not to decrease them. Um, so when they when they aren't caring, almost whatever the one million the one billion people in the 
Anglosphere and the EU are doing is pretty much irrelevant. And if you go and look at a chart of emissions against time, which is always, which I've, and if you've followed me on Twitter, we've probably seen this many times. Mm -hmm. Emissions against time has been steadily increasing for the last 30 years, no matter how many climate conferences you have, yeah. no matter yeah. how many grand statements you have, no matter how many greeters come along and yeah. shout at you and nag you and whatever. People just, in those countries, people just don't care. They want to be rich and prosperous and influential as we in the UK and, and the Anglosphere already are. And we are the guys who say, well, we must save the planet. And to do that, we're going to sacrifice all the rest of it. So at the first level, whatever is going on in net zero is a very limited thing in the total global context. The second thing that's going on is that Climate change has been, almost ever since I started getting interested, has been about to produce a catastrophe of some description. Never been quite clear what the catastrophe is going to be, whether it's sea monsters or tsunamis or a heat wave that wipes us all out or the melting of every glacier and ice cap in the world or whatever, and therefore the but, drowning uh, of all the people. Maybe you're being a tad flippant there, because, I mean, I mean, really, the, the overriding catastrophe that they talk about all the time as rising sea level and that you yeah. know, low lying low lying areas will be underwater. That seems to be the catastrophe. Yeah. I can't think I can't okay. think of anything else really that that, that Well that, uh, I, I I've been look fair comment, John, yeah. I perhaps I was being over flippant. Um <laughs> well let's look at that rise rising sea levels. I I tried to investigate well exactly how much of this catastrophe has there been. Yeah. And I came up with one un uninhabited island in the Solomon Islands that had been swamped. Okay. And it was only 100 feet by 100 feet, but it counted. Fair enough. We'll give them that one. Right. And there was a article in the Telegraph a couple of weeks ago where they had been to, again, I think the Solomon Islands, and it was, you know, this was the cutting edge of climate change, and, and the tide came 50 feet further up the beach now than it did 100 years ago. And I thought, well, if that's the cutting edge of climate change in this relatively sparsely populated thing in the Solomon Islands, and I had to go however many thousand miles it is to find that, this is not really a catastrophe. But what about the Maldives? Surely they're underwater. Oh, I mean, yes. The, the Maldives, of course they are, yes. Do you remember I mean, the famous guys with the... Yeah, Al Gore the, um, they'd be underwater by... The underwater 20. cabinet meeting. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they built four new airports last year for they tourists. Really, so they it, really? Four new airports for underwater planes? <laughs> for underwater planes. So yeah. if, if by some miracle or some, some catastrophe, they are all, they are all to be evacuated... Mm -hmm. uh, within the next 50 years or so. Well, it's very strange that the population of the Maldives is going up and they're yeah. building to, to attract more tourists rather than to evacuate themselves. So, so it hasn't happened. So beachfront property in Florida, the price must have just fallen right out of that. You, you won't be able I to believe get those it has. I, I've just seen pictures of that nice Mr Gates's new pad, which gotta say looks to me a bit like crossroads motel from the 1960s soap <laughs> opera yeah. yeah yeah i looked at that i thought jesus what a dump that is but nonetheless he has got a beachside property so he can't be too worried about no. it 
And but but, but the, the the key point here is another five years has gone past without the catastrophe we're being promised. Mm -hmm. So you've got to keep you've got to start wondering where where is the, all this damage and stuff going to start? Extreme weather, extreme uh, weather look, events. Look at the well, massive heat, look at the massive heat wave we've got just now. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, bring it on. <laughs> you probably hear I've got a cold. It's because we've had yeah. such a lousy May down here in Thames Valley. I mean, May's uh, normally summer here in Scotland. May's always oh. the best month, and I am frozen. It's been dry at least, but it's not warm. Oh, right. right. Well, it's it today, and I, when was it? One day last week, we had I think sort of first possible spring-like day of this of, of the year here but in general it's been a thoroughly miserable spring yeah yeah um all of those things put together start to say that this catastrophe that we're protecting ourselves from either isn't happening or is suitably further far away or is just scaremongering and people are beginning to notice in the in the uk last year we had i think it was last year or certainly the year before we had you know the biggest storm in 30 years and a whole week of hype about what this storm was going to do and how it's going to destroy the country well in, in the end a couple of fence panels blew, blew down and very sadly somebody drove a drove a car into a fallen tree and was killed yeah but that was about it and i, I happen to know that because it's relatively close to where i live and that was about it and then we had the biggest heat wave ever, the 40 degrees that suddenly appeared in, in the UK for ooh, nearly a couple of days. And to be honest, nobody much noticed. So when after five years of hype and so forth, the actual events turn out to be a bit of a damp squib, then people's will to do something dramatic and expensive and so forth about these prob these supposed problems kind of dissipates a bit and they start thinking well you know we've had covid and you could you could imagine though i wouldn't agree but i could imagine why somebody might think well maybe it's worthwhile because there's this nasty disease around to uh, lock myself up for 18 months and and so forth because the danger of COVID is at least apparent to me, you may know people who died of it or were in hospital of it or whatever, telling them that they're going to have to lock themselves up for the rest of their lives against a danger that, that they kind of cannot see and can only you know hear about there were wildfires in Australia. They might think, well, here am I in, I don't know, Glasgow. Yeah. What do I care too much about a few wildfires in Australia? Why should I lock myself up and all the other things? Much of these things like wildfires, particularly in places like maybe, I, I'm not quite sure about Australia, but I know I know certainly in, um, in America, you know, the Californian wildfires and all that, they're generally yeah. caused though by the fact that we don't allow natural burning to occur. And then well, thus we yeah. build up all this this stockpile of dry tinder, effectively, well, and the whole forest goes. Well, yeah, I mean, in the end, I think that it's going to burn anyway, or it's certainly going yeah, to decay anyway. Yeah. I mean, I can understand wildfires are big and scary, and, and indeed I've got a friend in Australia who told me a terrible story some years back of how he's had spent sort of three days battling to keep his house, and, you know, it must have mm -hmm. been an awful thing. Yeah. But in the end, when you look at how many people died in the last big fire season in Australia, it was 35. 
Yeah. And 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 my contention is it's not the weather of of the um the climate that's caused these wildfires. This is genuinely a mind made issue because of the way that we've we're we're trying to manage a natural product and doing it wrong. Well, there's I'm sure there's a lot of truth in that. That if you if you say you know you can't do burning mm-hmm. controlled burning to save the planet, well then you get uncontrolled burning because you didn't. It's like you know you didn't. You didn't top up the oil in your car and suddenly your engine seized up. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And that couple of things, a couple of other events I thought I want, might want to talk about. And though this is not directly related to net zero, it's close enough to be worth talking about. And that's what happened in Sri Lanka last year. I don't know if you followed that. Yeah, when the, uh, they overthrew La- the government. Well, yeah, but, but the story is quite fun because... The Sri Lankan government decided for its own reasons that it wanted not necessarily to go net zero, but it wanted everybody to go 100% organic farming yeah. overnight. Yes, they did. And bit like, <laughs> bit like net zero, we, bit we, like net zero, it was, we'll, we'll issue a decree and everything will be well. Well, mm-hmm. the, the net event of it all was that the economy of Sri Lanka collapsed completely. So everybody yeah. was in poverty. So, so actually, they, I, th- I think we did a video on this, right? And I think, I think what the Sri Lankan right. government did was they banned the use of nitrogen fertilizer. That's right. That's right. And the and the crop yields plummeted overnight, effectively. Exactly. And not only the crop yields plummeted overnight, well, the president had to flee yeah. flee into exile in yes. fear of his life. Yes, he did. But yeah. the bit I the bit I thought was the best cautionary tale was. And in the subsequent riots, 28 politicians had their houses burnt down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That seems to me to be a good lesson for politicians everywhere, is that if you start mm-hmm. doing really stupid things by decree, um, they're going to come and get you. Yeah, and, and they're still doing these really stupid things because they're doing oh, yeah. the same thing in, in Holland just now. Oh, and well, the, the the Netherlands is doing it, and I again I looked a little bit at this. It's they're doing it in there, but in response to a EU decree about nitrogen emissions or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So they have this great idea that in the EU that says, well, nitrogen emissions are so terrible because they will warm the planet, and the warming the planet will reduce the crops, and if we reduce the crops, we'll have mass starvation. But hold on, hold seems on. to be the doesn't, doesn't nitrogen make up like ninety six percent of the atmosphere? Uh, seventy odd. There's twenty percent of oxygen as well. Oh, sorry, but nine, sorry. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of nitrogen. It's a matter of these are nitrogen compounds, so nitrous oxide and things like yeah. that. But 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 the way to, according to this logic, the way to reduce mass starvation in the future is to close farms today. Yes, yes. So there's less food for us now because. And uh, that just yeah, doesn't hang together. Yeah, because more people will die, them. and therefore there'll be less people to feed in the future. Ah, you've got it. Thank you, John. At <laughs> last, I, I couldn't understand it. Yes, of course. If you if you're dead already, you don't need feeding that, in the future. That, yeah. Yep. Yeah, brilliant. And then there was that professor recently who said that um, maybe we should consider eating people. So Soylent Green is coming to uh, you know coming to All a right. supermarket near you. Oh, right. Violence of the lambs. Well, in, in every sense, really, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that's... Uh, we, we, don't, we don't want lambs and we don't want cows and we don't want 
green grass and on on farms and all that because somehow we're all going to eat out of a factory. Yeah, yeah. And then they found out <laughs> the latest study that came out says plant-based meat is twenty-five percent worse for the environment than actually. Sorry, it's twenty-five <laughs> times worse for the environment than actually growing and growing a cow and harvesting that for food. <laughs> You just can't make it up. I know. I do notice when I go around my local supermarket. If I ever look in the little, um, quick, you know, quick sale for today type thing, which yeah. reduce twenty percent or whatever, there's an awful lot of vegan stuff in there. Yeah, that, 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 to that, eat that nonsense. That, that tends to stay there by four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, whereas all the good stuff goes by half past nine. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because nobody wants to eat it. That was another overhyped idea that we're all going to go vegan. Well, I'm perfectly happy if somebody wants to eat vegetarian. That's no problem. But to imagine that we're all going to do it because vegan sausages are almost as good as real ones, very unlikely. Yeah. Why anyway, is, getting... the, th the thing about, well, the, the thing I never get around that I can't get my head around is why vegetarians always try and make their food look like meat. Well, exactly. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's, that's the point I was kind of trying to get to, is that why do you bother? Yeah, why not have the real stuff? Who, right. Why do they think it's okay to, to eat plants? Plants don't want to be eaten either. I mean, just because well, animals true. run away to avoid getting eaten because they can, right? Plants can't run away. So what do plants do to avoid getting eaten? They make all these, the little chemical factories, aren't they? And they make all these little chemicals and yeah. toxins and things that actually cause loads of harm in your body. So if you eat the wrong, yeah. I mean, a, a single, what was it? A single, a single kidney bean could probably kill you if you ate it uncooked or as little oh, as blimey. five. Yeah. That's why you've oh, got to boil oh. kidney beans for 10 minutes before you can even consider consuming them. Blimey, I've got baked beans tonight after this. I hope baked they'll be beans all right. Baked beans different because they're haricot, right? Oh, right, okay. Kid kidney, beans, kidney beans will kill you if you eat them raw. Right. And look well, at them I, I mushrooms. Didn't quite know that. Look at them mushrooms that will kill you. Yeah, well, I know about those. And, and roses have thorns to stop them being eaten mm -hmm. by animals yeah, and exactly. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So plants have their own defences as well. So you can't say it's, you know, just because something's got a face doesn't mean that... It, you know, it doesn't mean it's it's not entitled to be eaten when you're eating things. And and remember the experiments they did with plants. You know, they put plants together, they cut a plant's leaf, and basically there's some some kind of communication involved in which it effectively screams out, and all the other plants know that trouble's about. This sounds like um. It's quite scary. <laughs> Bill and Ben and little little weed. It does a bit, yeah. We're going back in time now, mate. <laughs> People will be going, well, what are they talking that... about? Have they been smoking they something? Been... Is this Joe Rogan? <laughs> I think we're straying a little off the point of net zero, John. Yeah. So can we right, just go back, back to that for a few moments? Yeah, let's head back to it. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about Germany, because Germany's home of green mm -hmm. in many ways. That, that the, the green movement in, in in a lot of ways started there in... 30, 40, 50 years ago, and and perhaps had its roots even further back. You know, the German love of nature and so forth, and the forests and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Going, going back to Wagner and Siebengebirge and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, what's happened in Germany has been quite interesting because in one way, 
they are still going green in the sense, or what they think of as green in the sense that they closed down their last three nuclear power plants uh, just six weeks ago. Uh, uh, why? My mind. Why? Why would you, if you were going green, why would you shut down nuclear power? I don't understand that. Uh, because the whole green movement started out as um, an anti-nuclear power. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. It, it, remember, that, remember the. Yeah. Uh, you remember on the back of every, the back of every two CV, you'd you'd mm -hmm. see a little sticker. It said Atomkraft nine Danker, yeah. atomic power. No, thank you. And, uh, yeah, and a little picture of a flower or something. And yeah, it it seems that nuclear power is the most green energy source at the moment that we could possibly get. Well, now there's a thought, eh? Apparently not in apparently not in Germany. It it was almost like it was a, a religious, you know, a religiously symbolic gesture that the Greens had to do yeah. to pacify the gods or whatever it might have been. It, it, from a purely technical point of view, it was madness. And it, and it was madness one because as you say, it's nuclear power is a pretty pretty good low carbon source of power. But two they did it in the middle of an energy crisis when they had rather foolishly decided that though they were too prissy to dig for gas themselves, they would ask nice Mr. Putin to keep sending it to them via their big pipelines. Yeah. And that worked very and, and there's a lovely clip of President Trump, as he was at the time, going along to some meeting or other, telling the German guys, you know, you guys are nuts. <laughs> Don't trust this guy. And they're all they all fall about and point and laugh and say, Mr. Trump is bonkers and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. But the la in, indeed, in this case, the last laugh was on him because when the Ukrainian war broke out, then those supplies yeah. ceased for a number of reasons. And yeah. Germany was faced with a very difficult problem. They've got no nuclear power and now they've got no gas either. Well, they haven't got much left, actually. So what they've done, and I think it's hilarious, is that they're going back to the old ideas from East Germany before unification. Mm -hmm. where they dug an awful lot of lignite out of the ground. And lignite is like yeah. somewhere between peat and coal. It's dirty that's, brown coal. You, you not, really shouldn't be using it. That's not the worst possible fuel. The worst expect. possible. Yeah. But, but, yeah, but they've got a lot of it in, in Eastern, uh, in, in, fact, in what was the old East Germany. Is this, um, is this where they had to uproot a newly a fairly newly built wind farm in order to get at that. Exactly right. So <laughs> by so by so here we are. But this is one of the wonderful things: the law of unintended consequences. By going green, yeah. so they believed, mm -hmm. they shut down the nuclear power plant, which is <laughs> the lowest carbon thing yeah. outside windmills. You can, or may even be lower carbon than windmills, and more efficient. And they are wave. instead. Way more efficient than windmills. Oh, indeed. All sorts of other reasons why it's a good idea. But nonetheless, and they are therefore using the dirtiest possible power source there is yeah. in quantity. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there is, they followed the logic of net zero or they thought they were following the logic of net zero. So that's all a super duper thing. There was a referendum in Berlin a few months ago where the greens wanted to accelerate the transition to net zero 
And the people of Berlin basically told them to bugger off. So that was an interesting one. Even the people of Berlin, pretty greens, yeah. don't want to do this process any faster. Well, and what we, you see there... It's even more... There was even more to it than that, though, because they actually told them that we're not we're not implementing the ban on petrol and diesel engines. Oh yeah, sorry, I'd forgotten exactly that. Yes, indeed, yes. Uh, six months ago, they decided that they would stop making um, petrol and diesel engines, any such things, within the whole EU, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Germany, after a little bit of a pause and a think, said, "Hmm, what is our biggest export? Oh, we are the car manufacturers. Yeah. <laughs> and when we lose Audi and BMW and Volkswagen, hmm, then it's like a million jobs gone. Yeah." Well, perhaps we won't do this then. And that's thrown a spanner into the works of the EU's plans. And as you know, I'm always always happy to hear of good things like that happening. Yeah, yeah. And now, most recently, and this I think is, is probably even more important than anything else we've talked about, is just last week, President Macron of France mm -hmm. has been going around saying, we have gone far enough down this road. Yes, yes, I yes. want to pause, mm -hmm. and when he says he wants a pause, but a pa I mean a pause to all intents and purposes is is a, a stop. A <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a stop. So so he's going to like you know we have paused fracking. Well, that basically meant we weren't going to do any. Uh, so he's basically said he's he's drawn a line in the sand and said this far and no further yeah, yeah. with the laws and all that stuff. And I think that's the first time a national leader of a you know, and a significant nation has has gone that far to say we're we're not doing any more, boys. Yeah, yeah. And the the reason behind his reasoning behind that was purely political. Was that he was beginning to realise the damage net zero would do to France in terms of its industries, in terms of its employment, in terms of its yep. economics, and. The political process there has uh, Madame Le Pen breathing down his neck as well, saying, well, excuse me, mate, if you don't do that, I'm going to stop it all when I become president after the next election. And that's the political process working as it should. So I'm, I'm all in favour of that. So I, I think we can see now is uh, even around all of Europe or the European Union, that momentum towards net zero and all the things is is fading away fast. Once France explicitly and germany implicitly are saying hang on no more of this yeah then effectively it's dead those are they are the two big powers in in the european union there's nobody else you know really seriously pushing to to make it happen which leaves us with the united kingdom because mm -hmm. as uh, as as you know we're no longer a part of the european union we're not subject to their yep. uh, edicts and in and therefore we make our own laws back in and make our oh, the two go hand in hand. We make our own mistakes as well. But yeah. I'd much rather we did it that way than be associated with a, a much bigger block making big mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And so let's now look uh, more parochially at what's going on in in the UK where we both live, and um, things are a bit different here because we're still committed apparently to net zero and um there was a act passed in 2018 that said we have to do this by 2015. interesting question is what do we do to ourselves if we don't do we punish ourselves with a naughty step or fine ourselves and have to pay yes. money to the treasury to 
Self-flagellation. Well, exactly. Auto-flagellation for all parties concerned, including the poor, poor bloody public that never really got a chance to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But th that's what the law says. And if you go around and talk to civil servants and so forth, they are adamant that if that's what the law says, they have to do it. And I can understand their point, uh, that even if I can't agree with it. But So they are going, as far as they can, full steam ahead on, on net zero. The idea I think the politicians have is still that we will lead the world to this green green and sunlit uplands. So why, when we are 1% of the world's emissions and number 16 down the list of countries with the biggest emissions, the world would want to follow us is another question, but, but they seem to think that somehow we will do this. And because lots of British, damn it, don't you oh, know? Oh, good. Well, that's... That's all right then, jolly good, I should say so. We'll show all those jolly foreign chappies how it's done. That's well, I think the jolly foreign, I think the jolly foreign chappies have actually got a bit more sense than we have in this particular case. So they necessarily everywhere. Uh, and so we now have a huge problem in the UK because, as I think I said earlier, now we're less than ten thousand days away, and we've got to make this work. And with the true insouciance of the political classes five years ago, they didn't give the faintest thought to how this thing was going to happen when they passed the Climate Change Act and the amendment to it, the, the net zero bit. And now people are starting to look around and say, well, actually, how are we going to do it? And let's put some numbers here onto, um, onto, onto what we're doing. First thing is that a lot of people think, well, Look, we have we are the Saudi Arabia of wind, according to. Uh... <laughs> so we do have a lot of windmills in the in the seas around our shores, and yeah. and the plan is to get some more, and they do on a good day produce a certain amount of electricity, mm -hmm. and very recently there was huge hoo ha and rejoicing and bunting in the streets and champagne among the greens and all that that. For a, a day or a month or a week or whatever, the windmills have produced more electricity than burning gas had. Therefore, everybody goes around saying, well, we're saved, you know, we're well on the way, the net zero problem is cracked. Well, actually, the bit they kind of missed out on, and it's a bit that I see, no, I've noticed it, I see an awful lot of people are confused by them. Maybe they're not deliberately being confused, but they are confused. They mistake electricity for the total of the energy of the United Kingdom. Yeah. So they think, well, if we could make 100% renewable wind power, solar power, whatever it is, powered electricity, problem solved. We've hit net zero. Well, they haven't because they've only noticed, they've only cracked 20% of our energy comes via electricity. Mm -hmm. The other 80% of our energy comes from other means, and those other means aren't too difficult to work out if you think about it. Fuels by oil, <laughs> by fossil fuels, exactly right, John. 75% yeah. of our energy comes from fossil fuels, and that goes into, for example, filling up your car or your petrol car or your diesel or your truck mm -hmm. if you're going to deliver the food to our supermarkets or to our ships if the yeah. ships are going to deliver the food from yeah. or the, the goods from them. Right, so, so, so let me get something straight here. 
20% of our energy is provided by electricity. Just under, but call it yeah. 20% for, for us to achieve any kind of net zero, we really need to only be using electricity for energy needs. Exactly. Now, if, if we only have 20% of the energy just now and wind only and wind only provides, you know, I don't know how much of that. How much did you say? Let's generous, generous. Let's be generous and say 35% of it. So if wind produces 35% of that 20%, how much of how much of that would be 100% produced by wind? You know, well, you've got one, so you'd need 14 times as much wind power. Where are we going to live? Well, not only do you need fourteen, do you not only do you need fourteen times as much wind power? You well, need fourteen times please. as much backup for when the wind power doesn't blow. And and there's a great rule of wind power which says when the wind when the wind power's not going around, doesn't matter if you've got fourteen times as many windmills or or near, zero windmills, fourteen times zero power is still zero. Well, where do we store all this electricity, Latimer? Say again. Where do we store all this electricity, Latimer? Well, where indeed do we store all this electricity? Well, the funny thing about electricity is that in the quantity, sort of quantities we would need to do, we can't. You right. can store electricity in small quantities in batteries, and there are one or two things like pumped hydro, pumped hydro. storage, which we may have in Scotland and, and in Wales. But they are the exception rather than the rule. And when you look at the sums, I think if you looked at batteries alone, you added up every battery there has ever been in the world. And you said, how long, if we fully charge it, how long could those batteries keep the world going for? And, you know, everybody hopes it's going to be several days. Well, actually, it turns out to be less than five minutes. <laughs> and that yeah. idea, yeah. That kind of tells you that, that batteries need to be a thousand times better than they are now for them to be an answer. Yeah. And that's, and that's not going to happen. So forget about batteries. And to all intents and purposes, forget about hydro storage because you need particular geography to do that. And the, the the real answer is to the sort of level we can't, there are no storage solutions that we know of. And the problem with electricity, unlike fossil fuels, is that you really have to either store it or use it as it's made. You can't, there are no other ways of doing it. Yeah. Whereas you can, if you if you think you're going to need some fossil fuel next week, well, you can nip down to the petrol station, fill up your tank for your journey next Wednesday. You can't do that with electricity, apart from in small quantities in batteries. Yeah. Well, somebody's come up with the wonderful idea, which I think is hilarious. That well, what we'll do then, because we have these batteries in cars, as we go to electric vehicles what we'll do is we'll get everybody to plug in their car overnight into the oh. national grid yeah, yeah. and if the grid gets short yeah, we'll just yeah. suck all the battery yeah yeah it, it's effectively saying to somebody you know it's like going around saying well in times of petrol shortage what you'll do is you'll let somebody siphon all the petrol out of your car which yeah. doesn't sound like a good idea at all yeah i can't yeah, see that being accepted. I, i've heard that i've heard that these um yeah. You know, using cars as a repository, and it's just yeah. We well, don't, we don't have enough. It's not going to work to make enough cars. Well, exactly. One, one, you don't have enough batteries to make enough cars. But two, nobody is going to, <laughs> nobody's going to do that to come down in the morning to discover that their nice fully charged car they thought was going to take them to work in the morning mm -hmm. has now got a flat battery because some 
windmill in the North Sea stop turning round. It yeah. doesn't sound to me like it's going to happen. But let's think about some other things about electrif uh, about net zero. Look at all the other things we use fossil fuels for that we've somehow got to replace um, with electricity. And the first big one is the 30 million homes in the UK that are warmed by gas central heating. That's 30 million homes. Wow. A lot of people. That's and people are pretty satisfied. People are pretty satisfied with their gas central heating. It, you know, the gas board may, British gas may be a pain in the neck, but, but it all works. Now, the government have some idea that we will all be quite happy to spend 10, 15, 20,000 pounds on replacing all this stuff with heat pumps. And a heat pump is effectively a fridge running backwards. And the problem with a heat pump is they're not very good at keeping places warm. They, they can move. They're not, well, they might be efficient, but they're not very good at making things warm. So no. the only way to keep a place warm with a heat pump yeah. is to insulate it triple two or three times more than you need to with a gas central heating. And you could argue, well, that's more efficient and so forth and so on. Apart from the disruption of you've got to rebuild your house around the insulation, you've probably got to rebuild your house around bigger pipes and radiators. And you've got to stick either something on the on the wall of your house that's going to annoy the neighbours by making a big buzzing sound, or you've got to dig up your garden. And at the end of it, you'd end up with something that is definitely no better than you have already, and probably an awful sort an awful sight worse yeah. at your expense 25,000 pounds or whatever it might be per household yeah. well, that's I mean, just never going to fly I mean gas boilers are a well known proven technology that, that run yeah. generally generally fairly yeah. reliably over many many years yeah. with yeah. basically a hoover out you know as a service you know to get rid of the dust and yeah. stuff yeah that's about it pumps are a complete nightmare because they need constant, they need constant fettling. They're always breaking down. Um, they get louder and louder as they age. Um, they get less and less efficient as they age. Um, they're just, they're just a non-starter for domestic buildings. They really are. I, I, I really think that's true. And let's look at the other side of it. What else do we use the fossil fuels for? Well, let's just look at domestic cars. There are 30 million of those in the UK. Mm -hmm. And the idea now is that they will all be replaced by electric vehicles within uh, 23 years. So that's over a million you have to sell per year. And the trouble with electric vehicles is they do need charging up. Mm -hmm. If you want to charge them up, one, to charge them up in a decent time, you need a very, very big, thick bit of cable to put in a lot of amps yeah. down, the, down the battery quickly. Yeah. So you have to, first, without even thinking about it, you have to upgrade every domestic power supply in the country. Yeah. Two, they're no good. Yeah, yeah I was going to say they're no good for people who don't have easy access, as I do, to a garage or a driveway or something, people who live in terraced houses. Yeah. Backing straight onto the street, they've got no, Flats. not really, or a flat. Yeah, look at the guys in Grenfell Tower, as I often post a picture on Twitter of Grenfell before the fire. Yeah. And you say, well, what are they going to do? Just hang cables out the window? Well, these poor, poor sods not allowed to drive because they don't have an EV. It's, it's just not a, yeah. not yeah. a start at there. Right. Then you go to, well, what else do we use stuff for? Well, diesel. We use diesel for, well, let's take. 
the big we've got a Tesco distribution center quite close, uh, an Amazon distribution center quite close. So we see a lot of big trunkers going up and down the motorways full of Amazon goods. Well, they run on diesel. Yeah, I don't think there's no real likelihood of getting as effective a set of trucks as diesel-powered trucks going up and down our motorways with electric vehicles. One, it takes too long to charge them up. You can you can fill an, an HGV in 15 minutes at a petrol sta at a diesel station. You certainly can't do that in 15 minutes. And for that, you can't charge batteries in 15 minutes. And for that 15 minutes, or maybe three hours, your truck is off the road, so it's yeah. doing less work. It's like, like an aeroplane. If it's not on the road, it's costing you money, not saving you money. Well, there's another one. Well, now we come to it. The only way you can do all this stuff is if it, and there is no prospect of there being an electric-powered aeroplane that can do, for example, even Paris and back with a full load of payload, let alone Malaga and back with a full yeah. payload. Well, the only way you can do that is to ban aviation completely. Uh, oh, dear, that's a bit of a problem, because what else uses uh, aviation? Well, the Royal Air Force uses aviation, so we'll have to to get to net zero. We're going to have to um, ground the RAF. Oh, that's nasty, because all, all the people who might want to be nasty to us don't seem to be very interested in net zero, so they're still going to be flying bombers. Dear, that's not such a good idea. What about ships, you might say? What about the Royal Navy? Well, same thing. Royal Navy, even the Coast Guard patrol boats that we hear so much about in the channel for various reasons. I mean, they run on diesel. They don't run on electric. Yeah, and a lot of them, so the ships run on gas turbines. They're basically airplane engines. Exactly. And and so we might end up with a, the, a Royal Air Force that's grounded and um, a Royal Navy that's got just a few rowing boats. Well, that's yeah. not such a great idea. And similarly, if you look at the, um, the, the the army, then what do we use to tra transport uh, troops around the place when we're intervening to keep the peace or whatever it might be? Well, they go in helicopters, and you can't make um, battery-powered helicopters at all. So perhaps it'll be we're all walking on our boots. So we're basically going back to the Napoleonic times yeah. militarily. While, while, while all people... As yeah, while well, everybody else who might who might be wishing to do us harm for whatever reason isn't bothered at all. So that's not very much of a brilliant idea. And and everywhere you look into this stuff, you come up with these ideas that say, hang on a minute, this just is not practical. So the old idea of you know, way back when, 2018, it's no pain, it's all gain to do net zero is proving as indeed it should have worked out, it should have worked out before they started it. It's proving to be totally illusory. It's a, it's a fiction. It's um, yeah. It's a fairy tale, and it might be a very attractive fairy tale, but it's just not practical. So the only thing that's left for the UK, it seems to me, is for somebody slowly for that dial to move away from we're doing this to a Macroni like, well, we'll slow it down a bit. To eventually they're going to. Um, either cancel it either de facto by making a statement or de jure just by do it just by not doing it anymore yeah, yeah. i cannot see that, that that we will ever go and i can't see we're ever going to go much further down this road because it's just not possible yeah i think that's so. a big political problem for nearly all the parties because at the moment they are all committed to net zero 
So they've got to do some form of reverse ferret maneuver over however long that takes, and whether that means you get new need, new leaderships or sounds, or whatever. That sounds Monty Python-esque, a reverse ferret maneuver. <laughs> reverse ferret. Well, you imagine a ferret going up a great pipe. Yeah, imagine a ferret coming back. A... Funny enough. <laughs> We went to the local, uh, one of the local towns, village fate on on Saturday, and they had the ferret rescue uh, charity there with lots of ferrets, and that's what started me thinking about it. They were they look cute little things. I'm not sure the dogs were too impressed, the little daxies, but don't the ferrets like, were fun. I don't like ferrets and stoats because they're okay. too snake-like. I know they're mammals. Yeah. But I don't like yeah. I don't like that snake like appearance. I don't like snakes and I don't like them. <laughs> Fair enough. Nonetheless, it's a good analogy. A reverse ferret. Yes, they gotta come back down that drain pipe that they've put themselves up. Yeah. And, and it's extricate it, themselves from the situation yeah. in which they've now found themselves. Well, uh, not only found themselves, but enthusiastically put themselves. Yeah. They have um, jumped they have jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Well, that's a very good way of putting it. Cool.